Due to the coronavirus, we have not been meeting together as a church, and so we are recording the next several series of messages as Bible study devotionals for at-home use. If you would like to see videotape recordings of these or to receive uh, our at-home worship guide, please go to graceclanton.com, and if you click on Coronavirus Updates, you should find all the information that you need. Thank you. Welcome back to Home Church. Uh, this may be taking you back a little bit to uh, your high school English class, but you may remember that, that every good story has a climax, has a, a high point that all of the action of the story has been building up to. And in Luke's gospel and in the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, the high point of the story, the the point at which all of the action is building to is actually what we're going to read today, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, that's kind of weird, isn't it? That the high point of the story would actually be the low point of Jesus's life, uh, at least of any of our lives, right? This moment, this painful, excruciating, torturous moment of crucifixion uh, looks a lot like a low point. So how in the world can it be the high point? Well, that's what I hope we're going to see today. We're going to be looking at Luke 23. We're going to start reading in verse 26. So let's give our attention to God's Word. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green... What will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, 
And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid, Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding it and applying it. Father, as we continue to look at the life of Jesus and now as we see Jesus crucified, dead, and buried, we pray that we would see Jesus, that we would know Jesus, and that as we see and know Jesus, that we would love him, God, that you would transform us from the inside out. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting that Luke uh, doesn't really describe the details of crucifixion. And that could be because Luke and his readers, as uh, people in the Roman Empire, would have probably seen a crucifixion. They would have understood uh, how brutal it was, how painful it was, how shameful it was. This, it was this instrument of, of torture and execution that Rome used to silence its challengers. But Luke and the other gospel writers really don't give us any details. Uh, as much as we tend to focus on it in movies and pictures, the gospels really don't describe it. But it is interesting what they do describe, the other details that Luke brings out. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning. I want to look at some of the details that Luke brings out, and I want to start by looking at the different people uh, that are around Jesus as he's crucified. And you'll notice there are lots of different groups, and there's a whole range of responses. You have uh, some people who are mourning for Jesus. You have a a bulk of the crowd that's just watching curiously to see what's going to happen. Uh, you have others who, after Jesus dies, they, uh, at risk to himself, Joseph uh, goes to Pilate and uh, asks for his body to give Jesus an honorable burial. Uh, and then you have the Jewish leaders uh, and the Roman soldiers who are mocking and insulting Jesus. Now, let's, let's talk about them for just a minute. The, the Jewish leaders have gotten exactly what they wanted. They have Jesus right where they want him. And so they take this opportunity to ridicule Jesus, to turn their noses up at him. And they say, well, I mean, if he was the Christ, surely he could save himself. They don't even speak to Jesus directly. They just ridicule him to one another. 
if he was the Messiah, I mean, he'd, he could be able to come right off that cross. It's funny he saved others. Why doesn't he save himself? And then the Roman soldiers get, un, get in on it. Uh, they say, well, if you're the king of the Jews, that's what the, that's what the charge written above your head says. If you're the king of the Jew, Jews, save yourself. Come down off that cross. And it shows us that they still don't really understand. Uh, they don't grasp uh, who Jesus is. That they, they attack Jesus' identity. If you are the Messiah. If you are the King. But they miss that Jesus uh, isn't that kind of King. Isn't that kind of Messiah. That in fact Jesus could come off the cross if he wanted uh, they think they have Jesus right where they want him, but in fact Jesus has himself right where he wants to be. And that he's exactly in the position that the Messiah needs to be. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't save by leaving the cross. He actually saves by staying on the cross. And we see that most clearly in the response of Jesus himself. So we, we looked about at the, at the people surrounding Jesus. But how does Jesus respond to this painful moment? What does Jesus do? And you'll notice he takes, uh, he thinks of others. Uh, as the women are mourning over Jesus, he, he turns to them and says, Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. Weep for the judgment that is coming on Jerusalem. And we talked about that several weeks ago when we looked at Luke 21. But he says, Weep for yourselves uh, when, as he's, as he's hanging there, bloodied and naked, uh, several feet off the ground, and the, the soldiers are gambling for his clothes. What does Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even in death, Jesus is compassionate and forgiving. And we see that most clearly, and I love this scene, between Jesus and this criminal. There are two men crucified with Jesus, and this, this scene is so powerful. Uh, it shows us grace. Uh, it shows us what repentance looks like. It shows us what faith looks like. But if ever there was a moment that convinced me that salvation is by God's grace alone, it's this moment right here uh, that this, this criminal, you, you have two criminals. They've, they're both guilty. They're both receiving the same sentence. Their circumstances are exactly the same. Uh, they've both seen and heard the same thing about Jesus. And yet, one of them is hardened uh, and insults Jesus, but one of them comes to Jesus. One of them responds to Jesus. Um, why? Why one and not the other? And neither one of them are in any position to be able to save themselves. They're nailed to the same cross that Jesus is. But one responds and one does not. And that reminds us that salvation is by God's grace alone. And what that grace produces in this man is repentance. He rebukes his fellow criminal and he says, don't you see that, that we're justly deserving? We're, we're getting what we deserve. We, we deserve the sentence we've received. That's repentance, isn't it? Um, to know that you're guilty and to know that you deserve, you deserve judgment. 
But then also this man shows us what faith looks like. Because knowing that he doesn't deserve it, knowing that he deserves what he's getting, he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Um, This criminal sees what no one else around the cross can see, right? All the all the leaders and soldiers, they're mocking Jesus, right? They're saying, he can't be a king. But this criminal sees it. He sees that Jesus is the king because he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He acknowledges who Jesus is. That's faith. And and isn't it beautiful? This This man's just... The humility is, is beautiful to me. He says, Lord, remember me. When you, when you receive the power that you so rightly deserve, would you just remember me? And what does Jesus say? Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Even as Jesus is expiring, he's saving. Right? The... The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, they're saying, he can't save. He's not the Christ. And there he is, still saving. He's telling this man that that for him, death is not the end. Death is simply the gateway into eternal life. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And that same hope belongs to everyone who trusts in Jesus. There's one more response I want to look at to this moment, to this crucifixion, and it's God's response. You might say, well, God's response? Where is, where is God? What do you mean? Well, you notice there's some, some strange things happen as Jesus is dying. The passage tells us that from about noon, the sixth hour, until about three, the ninth hour, that darkness descends over the land. Uh, this wasn't an eclipse. It wasn't a, a sandstorm. It was this strange supernatural darkness. What's going on there? Well, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament prophets, this darkness was actually a sign of God's judgment. Amos 8 9 says it this way On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Zephaniah 1.15 A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. It's fair to say that most of us at some point in our lives are afraid of the dark. And that's a pretty natural response. Uh, If you've ever been on a cave tour uh, underground, and uh, they've turned the lights off on you. You know that when, when there's no sun, right, there's no natural light coming in, there's no artificial light, you're underground and all the lights go off, that it is pitch dark. So dark that you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And, and the longer that darkness lasts, right, that's, that's disorienting, uh, it's disheartening, right, and it's a natural response to begin to fear uh, what you can't see, you don't know what's coming. Uh, it's a natural response to, to panic when you're disoriented, that uh, you're not sure what what's coming up. Um, and isn't it interesting that with this whole 
virus pandemic uh, that we're, we're in the dark. We don't really know, right, that, that we're supposed to social distance, that things are closed for an indefinite amount of time. We're, we're, we don't know what's happening next. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and doubt that happens when you're in the dark. And that reminds us, too, that we're made to enjoy the light. Uh, if our sun were to go out instantly, well, we would die, wouldn't we? Right there, not, only, not only do we need the light from the sun, but we also need the heat from the sun. We would cease to exist. And in the Bible, God's presence is described as a source of light. Uh, the last picture we see in the Bible in Revelation 21 is of God's people gathered in God's presence. And it says that, that there's no need for the sun or moon or stars because God is there. And so there's no need for any other light source. And so what we see is that right, when, we, so when we run from God's presence, we end up in the darkness. Uh, and when we're in the darkness, we're disoriented and we're afraid. And so what's happening here on the cross, right, as, as the darkness is descending on the land, as Jesus dies, is God is pouring out his judgment. God is pouring out his wrath. But on whom? Well, on his son, on the cross. God's judgment is descending on Jesus. Jesus is embracing the wrath of God. He's absorbing the penalty of God's judgment. But something else is happening, even as Jesus does that. Did you catch it? That as the darkness descends, the curtain in the temple tears in two. What's up with that? Well, think about it. Curtains separate and protect, don't they? Right? The, your shower curtain uh, protects your bathroom from all of the water splashing out from the shower. Your curtains on your windows, uh, they, they keep down the light and they keep people from being able to see into your house. And So this curtain in the temple was this thick drape that was very tall. It ran from the ceiling all the way down to the floor and it separated God's uh, most holy place, the, the place where God's presence was, where the Ark of the Covenant would be, um, it separated the most holy place so that people just couldn't waltz into God's presence, that, um, that you couldn't just carelessly go, go into God's holy presence, right? God's, God's holiness, much like a fire or much like the, our sun, um, is needed, it's necessary, right? We... We, we need the warmth and we need the light, but it's also dangerous if you're not careful. God's holiness is the same way. And so uh, this curtain separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And on that day, as darkness, as the, as the darkness of God's wrath descends onto Jesus and Jesus absorbs that judgment... God's presence is opened up to all of these people, right? The, the temple curtain tears in two and God's presence is reopened once again. You see, as, as Jesus absorbed God's wrath, 
He made it possible for you and I to go back into God's presence. Something that we have not enjoyed since the garden when Adam and Eve were removed from God's presence. And that angel's cherubim with flaming sword guarded the entrance to the garden. Well, on the cross, that flaming sword falls on Jesus and God's presence is reopened to everyone who trusts in Him. If you're following along in our worship guide, we sang a a song written in the early 1800s called Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. It's a very somber song. But there's one line uh, that I think is worth repeating. talks about this moment, and he says, No one lifts a finger, no hand interposes to save Jesus. But that song in Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted, it says, But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. On the cross, Jesus absorbs the darkness so that you and I never have to be afraid of the dark again. That's the good news. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for going willingly and gladly to the cross. We thank you uh, that you absorbed the wrath of God so that we could be brought again into God's presence. Father, uh, we thank you for the love uh, that you've shown us in sending your Son to do just this. And I pray that we would trust, uh, trust in the cross of Jesus. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.